tell you what he said. <laughs> no, uh, for those of you who are interested in the women's retreat, uh, we really do want to uh, pump that up. It Really, it's this Sunday and next is where the window of signups are. Uh, we took a lot of ladies last year. It was a great time. This year, I think, is going to be even greater. And we do have some money available uh, for those of you who are worried about the cost and all that. There is a limited am- amount of scholarships. So please, uh, you can talk to Carrie uh, or Heather or Tanya about that, and, uh, and they'll get you going. But it's, uh, I promise you, a weekend away up in the mountains with the ladies. If I was a lady, that would sound fun. So... <clears throat> Hopefully, you, if you are a lady, that does sound fun. Second, uh, Dan, where are you at? You still here somewhere? Yeah. We are still trying to get some uh, sign-ups for Camp Owens. And the, one of the reasons why I keep hammering this is one of the things we did, if you're a member, uh, one of the things we signed on for membership is once a year to do some sort of outreach opportunity. We have several every month, several every uh, other month of things to do in terms of outreach. And so really, if, if, if you haven't done that yet, or if, if you have and you just want to keep on doing it, we need to get your names today. If we don't get them today, you cannot go. It's a county thing. Uh, they need to make sure you know, you're not related to Charles Manson or something like that. So uh, please sign this up. In fact, Dan, you want to take this from me so that you have this? Awesome. All right, are you ready to start a new series this morning? Yeah, (laughs) it's definitely the second week of September. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and start a new series, and do we have the video ready to go? We're going to try this. This is uh, one of the things here. All right. I love the part at the end where the man says, that's a pretty lofty goal. And of course, his response is probably the best response you can have when faced with that question. That's why I want to pursue it. And this fall, talking about faith, what faith really is and how to live uh, in the faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit is a lofty goal. I admit that. But I think it's one worth pursuing. In fact, that's the only reason why you should ever preach a message is because it sets a goal worth pursuing. And so bow your heads with me and let's go ahead and pray over our new series, Hebrews chapter 11. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time as we open our hearts now to the Word of God. I pray you would open our minds and uh, open us up to what you'd have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. 
These days, it seems like faith has been badly misunderstood. In fact, if I were to line up about 10 people on the stage and each give them a mic and say, give us your definition of faith, we would probably get 10 different definitions. One time, it went out in one of my previous assignments at a church, I had 10 youth kids stand up and I was going to have them tell them, tell the other kids what they defined as their faith. And the very first kid got up and said, well, faith is, you know, believing what deep down you know isn't true. And I, I remember wishing I had one of those, you know, canes or whatever where you could just yank them off the stage. But I began to think about that because for many people, we can often get in that kind of mindset. Or you get kind of more of the scientific types, the, the Hawkins and the Dawkins and the everything else, where they would say, you know, faith is the opposite of rational thought. You know, you have kind of that rational, logical, reasonable, all these things on this side. And then the very opposite of that is faith over here. All those cuckoo nuts people who believe in ghosts and believe in fairies and believe in angels and believe in all these things that you cannot see, you cannot measure, and you cannot heat up. So, you know, you, you get this sense that faith can have a very mysterious feel to it. For a lot of us, Faith may be nothing more than what one person defined faith for me as, and didn't defined it to me, as kind of hopeful optimism. You know, people with faith, wow, they're, they're just real optimists. You know, they're always kind of happy. They always kind of believe good things about the future. Those are people with faith. No, those are hopeful optimists. And then last but not least, sometimes I'll find people that say, you know what? fact is, I don't feel faith. I don't feel it. Tom, you can pray for me till you're blue in the face. I don't feel anything. Tom, you can preach to me until you got no more spit left in your mouth. But I don't feel anything. We often confuse faith with our feelings. In fact, we're a very feelings-oriented society. If we feel it and it feels good, it must be true, it must be good. If we feel it and it feels bad, then it must be bad, we must not want it. The problem is sometimes hard things that are good feel bad. And sometimes bad things think good. But we can be so ruled by our feelings and then we completely misunderstand what it is to have faith. Charles Templeton, who was one of the uh, men with Billy Graham back in the 50s in the early days, uh, he was a rising evangelist, very effective preacher, and one day walked away from it all. And one of the statements he made was this, I can feel pain and I can feel joy. I can feel love and I can feel hate. I can feel warm and I can feel cold, but can you feel faith? And he'd go, no. That's why I'm walking away. I thought it's this obvious thing where we, where we kind of put so much stock into our feelings. The fact is, faith chooses first, acts second, and then waits for the feelings to follow. Amen? Faith a lot of times is better illustrated rather than explained. I could give you the Christian theological textbook definition of faith. And I give you one or two sentences and you go, oh, okay. 
But the fact of the matter is, it's far better for me to go, look at that person. See what they're doing for God. Look, look at that lady. Look at that. It's far better illustrated than it is defined. And that is really what Hebrews 11 attempts to do in a nutshell. It is faith in the overalls. It is faith, what faith looks like on the firing line. And when we study these men and women, we're going to see how faith kind of works itself out when people are facing enormous pressure, when they're facing great odds, when they often have the whole world against them, their families have turned away from them. And they lived by faith and won God's approval. And when I read this chapter, the thought I get is, that's what it means to believe. God, help me to be like that. In Luke chapter 17, verse 5, his disciples say something very interesting to him. They say, Lord, increase our faith. Now, you might think, well, I thought faith was something you either had or you didn't. You are either a person of faith or you are not a person of faith. And the fact of the matter is, faith has kind of two facets. When it comes to Jesus Christ, you either have faith or you don't. That is true. But when it comes to living life by the Holy Spirit, there's all different measurements. There's all different, you know, you see it worked out in the Gospels where sometimes you had people with great faith do great things. And then sometimes you had people saying, God, I don't have enough faith for this. Increase my faith. That's exactly where Luke is going with here. Increase our faith. And so part of my goal for this fall is that we would all collectively be able to say together, Lord, increase our faith. There was a pastor I knew of, about 10 years ago, he had cancer, uh, and it was a very bad cancer. They did not give him very long to live. His name was Jerry Cook, one of the more effective pastors our movement has seen, and he was in the hospital. He was all tubed up, and, you know, and he looked, he looked, as he described it, like he was on death's door, all gray and dusky, and, and Christmas was coming up, and Honestly, the family didn't really think he'd make it to Christmas. They kind of all had gathered thinking this guy could go any day. And uh, at one point he says, now how come nobody has asked me what I want for my Christmas present? He's got all his family there, all his daughters, his sons. How come no one has asked me what I want for my Christmas present? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was dying, I don't think I'd be worried about my Christmas present, would you? I don't want their face that yet. But they all just kind of laughed, you know, and they're like, okay, Dad, why don't we just focus on fighting this battle of cancer first? And, uh, and he got furious. He said, well, I'm going to tell you what I want for my Christmas present. He says, I want a pair of tennis shoes because next year I am going to run a half marathon. And he grabbed one of his daughter's hands and he asked everybody else to leave and clear out the room. And he pulled his daughter down to his ear and he said, I don't want any of those people to ever come back here again. These are his family, his sons, his brothers. He says, I don't need faithless people around me right now. I believe I'm going to walk out of this hospital and run. Well, the next day, she comes back, just her, following his wishes. And she has a little box with her. 
So she sits down, grabs her daddy's hand. Says, Daddy, I bought something. And he, and he kind of gets this little smile. He's all tubed up. He gets a smile. Thinks it's his pair of tennis shoes, right? And he, she opens up, and it's a shoebox. She opens up the lid to the shoebox, and it's a pair of pink tennis shoes. And he kind of laughs and smiles and says, I, how am I going to run a half marathon in pink Nikes? And she said, Daddy... The shoes aren't for you. You already have enough faith that you're going to be walking out of this hospital. The shoes are for me. I need to have faith that you're going to walk out of this hospital. And this is one of the ways I'm asking God to increase my faith. I bought a pair of tennis shoes because I am going to be running with you in that marathon next year. Amen? And sure enough, He walked out of that hospital a few months later. Lots of medicine, lots of chemo, lots of fighting, lots of struggling. But the disease did not beat him. He beat it. And later on that year, they ran a half marathon together. Faith. Faith was never meant to be a one-time experience, particularly in the Protestant realm of things. We can really focus on this great big sentence called salvation by faith. And what it really talks about is that moment when a person's soul believes what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, receives it, they receive Christ into their heart, and they are now saved by faith. They're going to heaven, and they're, 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 they're born-again Christian. And a lot of times when you ask people, what is your faith, that's the moment they go back to. But according to Hebrews chapter 11, faith was never meant to be a one-time experience. It was never meant to be just the moment of belief in Jesus or the moment of faith in Christ. It is a continual thing that is lived throughout the Holy Spirit. That we live by faith. We are kept by faith. We serve by faith. We worship by faith. We get married by faith. Amen? How many of you really knew your spouse when you married them? You may have thought you knew them. But the fact of the matter is, if you were really honest with yourself, a few years down the road, you really got to know them, didn't you? So when you said at the altar, I do until death do us part, what you just did there was an act of faith. Me and my wife, we have probably changed personalities, interests, all sorts of things, probably three or four times since we got married. So even if my wife got to knew the man she married April 22nd, 2000, did I get that right? (laughs) April... 29th, 2000. <laughs> See if, when you got your wife in the service with you, you, know, you got an editor right there. 
by April 29th, 2004, I'm already a different man. By 2008, I, I mean, we change and we go through seasons and we, we go through phases and we go through stuff all through life. So when we, get, when we get married, you're not getting married because you know who you're marrying. You're getting married that by faith, it's the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. That's why I always tell people, make sure it is God leading you in the marriage. Because you don't get married by fact. You get married by faith. Amen? So Hebrews chapter 11. You know what I love about Hebrews 11? is it doesn't just tell the rose-colored glasses of faith. The first 34 verses, by faith Moses did that, by faith Abraham did that, by faith Jacob did that, by faith Enoch. I mean, you get, you get this hall of fame by faith, and you're thinking, yeah, all those guys, great, it worked out for them, until you get to verse 35. And they're not named. They're just called the others. The others who were tortured, who refused to be released, who faced jeers and flogging, and they were chained and stoned, sawed in two, put to death, destitute, mistreated. They wandered in deserts and in caves. And you're almost tempted to think, who are these poor saps? What did they do so wrong that David gets to slay Goliath and Isaiah, the prophet, gets sawed in two? My answer is I don't think they did anything wrong. In fact, I don't think that the writer of Hebrew closed with them because they were the lesser examples of faith. I think he ended with them because they are the greater examples of faith. They truly did not follow God based on their feelings, but based on the conviction of their heart. And so we have here this great hall of fame, and this morning... We're going to focus on Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and verse 2. That's it. Believe me, those two verses are loaded. So turn with me to chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a lot of the modern translations will read like this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I don't like that translation. <laughs> if you know anything about preachers, they love to pick the translation that, you know, fits best with where they're going. Actually, in this particular case, and I rarely do this, but actually the King James really says it the best. And I don't like to go to the King James because it's a Latin translation of the Greek. Da, 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 da. So it's, 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 there's, there's a few different hoops that it has to jump through to get to the point. But the fact of the matter is, it really says it well, and it is very much true to the original Greek, where it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is substance, faith is evidence. Faith is substance, faith is evidence. What is this word substance? What this word substance is referring to is it was used in ancient Greek to refer to a cement foundation. Our building here is, has a cement foundation. In fact, everybody, if you can, if you would stand real quick, put your Bibles down, just stand up, and what you are standing on is probably one of the most uncomfortable things in all the earth you can stand on. 
And I'm not talking about the two millimeter carpet that's underneath your feet. I'm talking about the 10 inch thick cement. All right. And if you jump up and down, go ahead. Maybe if you can go ahead and give it a good, 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 good jump. You are never, ever going to break that cement. You are never going to dent that cement. There is nothing you can do to that cement. That is the word that the writer of Hebrew uses to define faith. It's like, it's like this cement. It's firm. You could break your foot on it. That is how firm it is. You can sit down. Now, how many of you would want to jump on this step? You do not want to jump on this step. It is. I could break it right now. It is just, it's, it's half cracked. I don't know what it's doing up here. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is not so firm. It, it, it's still supporting my weight, yes, but you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure I'm going to put this step to the test. That floor, uh-huh. I'll jump on that all day long. Nothing's going to happen. I jump on this. I don't know. It may break. It may fall out from under me. The word that Hebrews is going to totally blows away what modern thinking about faith is. It's not hopeful optimism. It's not feelings. It's, it's not the opposite of rational thought or reason. It is a cement foundation. So let me ask you this. What are the things in your life you truly have faith for? I don't just mean optimism. You may have optimism. You'll always have money. You may have optimism. You'll always be married. You may have optimism. You'll live another 30 years. But what do you have faith for? Because optimism is this. Jump on that long enough, I'm telling you right now, that step's going to break. Faith is this right here. It's firm. Earlier this week, I was talking with a friend of mine. Many of my friends are very insensitive, <laughs> but I like that about them. They're just guys. They just say it like they say it. And one of them said, you know, Tom, I don't know how you do it, man. You, you know, you... Everybody in your church could walk out in a week. The church would shut down. You'd lose your job. You wouldn't get paid. I mean, how do you do that? I'm thinking to myself, thank you very much for (laughs) the encouragement. I said, you know what? Not every area of my life, not even every area of my finances, but when it comes to the Lord's provision over my family, I'm on cement. I'm on faith. I know if everybody scattered and this church went away next month, God would find me a job. It'd be equal to what I get from the church. My family would be okay. I just, it, there's just a faith there. Some of you may look at me like, man, I could never do that. It's because you don't have faith for that. It's, it's, you're not on cement when it comes to that thought. For me, I, it is. It's just cement. Now, If you were to say, you know, Tom, we're going to remodel the church and we want you to be the building project coordinator. Let me tell you where my faith just went. All over here. I'm telling you right now, I don't have faith. You do not want to put your faith in my mechanical abilities. Amen. 
But when it comes to the Lord providing for my, it, it, it is the substance. I am, it's literally standing on a cement floor to know that God will provide for me and my family. Another example is coming to here, to Bakersfield. This was not the only option my wife and I had. There were other areas of interest. In fact, one, closer to her family, in a beautiful part of Washington, where it rarely rained. That in and of itself is a miracle. And I have to admit, there was a part of me that, that, that man, that, that, who wouldn't want to go and live in this idyllic paradise over there? But here's the problem. In that leading for the decision of my life, it was here. It was on that wooden step. The longer I prayed, the longer I let it sink in. The cement was California. Whether good or bad came, I knew that to live my life by faith, I had to leave everybody I'd ever known, everything I'd ever known, come to the desert <laughs> thank you you said that you definitely get an extra prayer this week <laughs> then we <laughs> yeah right the second word he uses here is evidence it's the substance of things hoped for the things you're hoping for, the substance, it's concrete as opposed to this wobbly stage. It's also the evidence of things not yet seen. What is this word evidence? The legal proof. In other words, you haven't seen it, but in reverse, you are confident that you know that you know that you know it is already there. I get this a lot when we pray for um, forgiveness. Uh, somebody's oh man i I'm, I'm struggling i did something i got some shame i'd like to pray for forgiveness and i'll take some time and do that afterward you'll be amazed at the peace that comes over someone and i say i say to him i said you know you know what if there is no god and we just spoke into the air how come you feel like that and they'll say well because there is a god i say yes that's faith it's solid. It's cement. If you really weren't sure, you'd be on the wood. So it's the evidence of things not yet seen. And then in verse 2, adds another important truth. It says, this is what the ancients were commended for. It is a terrible translation of that verse. This one, you know, I always go to my little Greek thing. Almost every word is an error. I would love to write the editor of whoever wrote that and said, what were you thinking What's the thought behind this sentence? Do you want to know what it really says? In the Greek, it says they received or obtained a witness. You ever been to one of those churches where the pastors, I was going, can I get a witness? And what is everybody supposed to say? Amen. Amen. Let's practice that. Can I get a witness? Amen. Oh. Not a Pentecostal church. Can I get a witness? There we go. That's exactly what this verse is saying. They received a witness. 
who was the one witnessing? Me and you? It was God. Only the witness was God. The amen that they heard shouted in their souls came from heaven. The whole cosmos. When Noah stepped out and put that nail into that piece of gopher wood. When Moses took his first step into the Red Sea that was parted before him. When Joshua took that first step around the walls of Jericho. When David took that first step toward Goliath. What they were hearing in their spirit was, Amen! The witness of God from heaven was upon them. They had felt his pleasure. God was saying, had a boy. You go, girl. Look at that. Let me ask you, have you ever had a situation in your life where you've had to put outrageous trust in God? Have you ever had a situation where you have had your faith on the line and you have said, God, I really need you? Because if you haven't ever placed yourself in that situation, then no offense, but your Christianity is probably kind of boring. This is really not meant to be a mental exercise. There's power. Power in what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It's substance. It's evidence. And it is a witness from God. That's what faith is. Is it hopeful optimism? Well, that may be part of it, but no. Is it feelings? Well, feelings come at some point, but not in the beginning. But is it acting on a conviction and by a choice you make when you're standing on that solid cement? Absolutely. And the only example I can really speak of is from myself because I know what faith has been in my life. Coming to California, going into full-time ministry, believing God to provide for my family. Those are all those solid ground things. Do I have those and everything? No. If I was to tell you, am I going to be around here 30 years from now? I'm probably more in the hope so category and not the faith category. There's probably some things I could do in my life to put myself more in the faith category, but I'm not there yet. How about you pray for me? I need faith to live, and I need you to pray for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. So what's my point this morning is very simple. Faith chooses first. A couple slides. There we go. Faith first makes a choice. You got to get your feelings out of it. Your feelings are going to go up and down. They're going to lie to you. They're going to, you know, choose first, make that choice. Act second, and then wait for the feelings to follow. They will. If nothing else, knowing you're doing the right thing is a great feeling. Point number one, faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. I wish I made this up, but actually it's from an author named Philip Yancey. Anybody read him? He is a great author to read. Uh, he's got some great books, Disappointment with God, What's So Amazing About Grace. I'll give him a little plug there. Uh, and I, 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 I plagiarized this statement straight from him because it was just that good. Faith is believing in advance uh, what will only make sense in reverse. A few years ago, when I was uh, serving at a church in the ghetto, in the ghettos of Seattle, 
the church wasn't ghetto, but the area around it was ghetto. And uh, I was new. I, I was a brand new worship leader. I was young. I was even brand new to Pentecostal churches. I got saved in a Baptist church, so being around charismatics was still kind of an uncomfortable thing for me. And uh, I remember one day, I'm, I'm in the office, and, and the youth pastor's there, Aaron Bull. His name was Aaron Bull, and I was there, and, and, and I think there was another person there. I can't remember right now. But anyway, I remember we came in, and the pastor said, I've had a vision. I'm thinking to myself, it's like, you know, going to be like an apocalyptic vision, you know, like seven ears of corn bowed down to my ear of corn, and the sun stopped, and, you know, so I'm like ready to draw this odd thing, you know, and he's like, I had a vision. He said, there's been a, the church has come under attack. Uh, there's been a lot of attack lately, and we need to march around the church just like the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho, and we are going to see the attack of the enemy fall. I'm thinking, yeah, that's a great vision. He said, you ready? I thought, no, what does he mean by that? <laughs> Gotta remember, it's the middle of the day, and I had gone to school in that area, and there are people who know me around there. You ready? Mm, ready for what? <laughs> come on, come with me. Of course, Aaron, he was, fi- he was fine with it, and, and the other guy, I think, was too. I'm walking, I'm going, what are we about to do? And so I, I'm about to say, excuse me, can we come back and do this at night? <laughs> and, and he's already off. He's already just going around and, and, and going around a church. And they're lifting their hands and all three of them. And I'm kind of like lifting my hands and I'm looking around going, I think some people are going to recognize me. So I'm all worried about how this is going to look. And I'm thinking to myself, if anybody asks if I did this, I'm going to deny it in Jesus' name. I'll ask for forgiveness later. (laughs) I will lie. (laughs) And we're walking around, walking around. But you know what was interesting is after that ordeal was over, the very next Sunday, it was one of the first times in my life I really scratched my head and go, wow, something of faith really worked church was sweeter. People were sweeter. You know those two people in church that always annoy you? They didn't annoy me that day. Some of you are wondering what my two people are for this church. It's not you, Shannon. Although you could be a good (laughs) runner-up. Just kidding. But you know what? It was just Something had broke, something was sweeter. All because the pastor had seen in advance what I was now experiencing in reverse. And that's faith. Number two, faith is not a feeling, but a conscious choice to believe what God had said. Let me ask you this. If Noah had waited to build the ark... He'd be dead, and so would all we. If, uh, if Joshua had waited for the walls of Jericho just to fall, I submit to you those walls would still be standing. If David waited for Goliath to go blind, <laughs> the Israelites would have been subjected 
to Philistine rule. What's my point? My point is very simple. Faith is not a feeling. It's a, we, if we move out only when we feel like it, it's like exercise. If you exercise only when you feel like it, you're probably not going to exercise that much. <laughs> Maybe some of you might because <laughs> you feel like it. <laughs> but for the 90% of us who don't, get my point? It's a conscious choice to believe in what God said. Number three, faith acts even in the face of doubt or negative public opinion. When Noah built the ark, when Moses walked uh, out of Egypt, when, when Joshua, Joshua is walking around the walls. The enemy soldiers are probably looking going, you guys, I don't think we're going to have much fight here. I mean, they're walking around the walls singing Sunday school songs. You know, uh, there's going to be times when public opinion is against you. I think of, you guys remember the story of the paralyzed man who was being brought to Jesus, but there were so many people, they couldn't get to him? You know what I love about the man and his friends? They're willing to plunk a hole in Peter's roof to get this man to Jesus. Now, do you, I mean, you are, all look like reasonable people the exception of Shannon. You all look like reasonable people. Would any of you want somebody to cut a hole in your roof just to get to the preacher? No. Would you have some negative public opinion against that? Yes. Would you have some opposition against that? Yes. Would you have some doubts that this man would have to do? Could you just not wait till tomorrow? (laughs) Says the person who can walk home. No, I want to walk now. Cut the hole. I don't care if Peter beats me to a pulp. At least he's going to beat me while I'm standing on my own two feet rather than curled up on this mat. Amen? Number four. Come on. That's good. Number four. Faith is action. It's not just believing. I think we made that point number five. Faith is an uncommon life lived out by common men. It's easy to look at Noah or Abraham or Jesus. Oh, maybe Jesus doesn't fit. Or David. And say, you know what? (laughs) I could never be like that. Or maybe some of you think, you know, pastors, missionaries, Christian theologians, they're the ones that are supposed to have the gift of faith, and, you know, I'm just me. That's why this chapter was written. Noah wasn't a pastor or a missionary. In fact, he was probably a struggling alcoholic. Moses was a runaway. David was a shepherd. Joshua was a slave. None of these people were pastors. None of them were missionaries. None of them had Christian theological training. Peter was a fisherman. No. This chapter was written to say faith is within your reach. 
it is within your reach to pray for miracles. It is within your reach to pray for healing. It is within your reach to rip the devil off of someone's back. It is within your reach to conquer kingdoms and administer justice. It is within your reach to walk on water and to see the rain flow again. Because by faith, Noah, by faith, Enoch, by faith, David, by faith, Gideon. What is the writer begging us to do? He's begging us to say, by faith, Kirk, by faith, Dan, by faith, Sherry, by faith, Tanya, by faith, Nick. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Worship team, come forward. So before we leave, I want to ask yourself a question inside your heart. What are the things by faith you're standing on that are cement? If it is only that Jesus will take you to heaven, that's good. I am not going to discount that for a moment. But I would submit to you to dare to be different and try for something better. You got heaven in the bag. What about daring to live by faith on earth? Not being afraid of the doubt or the negative public opinion. But hearing the witness from heaven shout down, attaboy, amen. There's my son. There's my girl. In order to do that, one must first have faith in Jesus as the Son of God. So I'd like to make a very quick and very simple invitation. If you haven't already said it yet, you can say this with me under your breath. In fact, we can all say it together. You say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into me. I, I decide to follow Christ. Fill me with your spirit. It's that simple. God will honor that. You become born again. That took faith to do that. Now, Allow that faith to do something else. To move mountains, cross oceans, conquer kingdoms, and see the glory of the Lord fill this land. Amen? Stand with me as we close with one song.